So this morning is the second Sunday of Father's Day month. It's part of that liturgical season of Father's Day, which begins the day after Mother's Day and ends the day before Mother's Day the following year. It's a season of Father's Day that culminates next Sunday with the grand and magnificent celebration of Father's Day marked by burnt offerings of porterhouse, New York strip, and ribeye. You know, Father's Day is, uh, is something that means a lot in uh, our household, not to the kids or Angela, but to me. Um, and not to, uh, not to jump the gun on, on next week, but uh, I truly love... Um, the celebration of, of fathers, not that it uh, has anything over the celebration of mothers, but I just like being a father. And so uh, I joke about it uh, being Father's Day month, but truly being a father is, is a year-long, everyday, 24-7 uh, calling. And uh, the same can be said of Mother's Day, but this is Father's Day month, so I'm talking about fathers right now. Uh, fathers have a responsibility to, to lead their families, especially regarding um, spiritual things. And uh, we, we don't lead by dictating you will pray at dinner, you will this or that. We are supposed to lead by loving our wives, loving our children, and leading by example. And so when the radio says this morning on KSBJ that we are entering the, the low days of church attendance because of summer vacation and recreation, and, and I'm not at all saying that we shouldn't do those things. But it is the responsibility, I think, of fathers to make sure that their families understand that God is primary. God is the center. Jesus is the center of our lives. Whether we're on vacation or not, um, God is primary. And I hope that during these so-called low attendance months, we will prove that premonition of our hosts on KSBJ false, and that we do take very seriously our church attendance because we are a community of faith and we lift one another up. And by being here, uh, we are fortified and equipped in our ministry to this community and to our families especially. So I will dismount that soapbox and get on another. 
which is um, the epistle for today. Uh, We continue our study of Paul's letter to the Galatians. And in this, he's talking about both Jews and Gentiles, in other words, everyone being saved by faith. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not so-called Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law. Because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So let's break that down a little bit so we can fully understand what it is that Paul is saying to us. See, he's making a fundamental point in this letter that people, all people, get saved, whether they're Jew or Gentile, all people get saved through Jesus. He says, we Jews know that we have no advantage over Gentiles just because of our birth as Jews. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus. How do we know that, he says? Well, we tried it. We tried it. We had the the very best system of rules the world had ever seen. 613 laws in all. We had all our bases covered in the law. But convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to do good. We think that way sometimes, don't we? That if we're just good enough, then we'll squeak into heaven through maybe a side door. Paul says, have some of you noticed that we are not perfect yet? No great surprise, right? 
And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous? Christians aren't perfectly virtuous, Paul says. Do you know any Christians that aren't perfect? Well, I can tell you there's one standing right in front of you right now. And if Christians aren't perfectly virtuous, Paul is saying, then he's asking the question, doesn't that mean that Christ is an accessory to sin? That's quite an accusation. And if you recall, Christ ate with, met with, hung out with sinners. People looked down upon by the Pharisees, the so-called keepers of the law. And He did that not because He condoned what they were doing, but because He had compassion. He didn't do it because He was a participant in their sin, but because he had compassion on them, even compassion for what was perceived as the lowest of society's outcasts. Because he knew there was no way to show them God's love, no way to show them God's mercy, no way to show them God's grace by keeping his distance from them. How do you live an example life to someone who needs Jesus and not associate with them at all. So the ac accusation, Paul says, that Christ was an accessory to sin, as the Pharisees were trying to say, was frivolous. See, Paul says, if I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. And I would therefore be acting as a charlatan, a fraud. So then Paul tells us the truth about his experience as a Pharisee. See, no one knows a Pharisee like a Pharisee. And Paul was a Pharisee, so he knew firsthand how they thought, what they believed. And so Paul tells us the truth about his experience as a Pharisee, so we get to see firsthand just how impossible it is to be saved without Jesus, and how Jesus makes our personal salvation possible. He says, what actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with Him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I am no longer driven to impress God. 
it can't be done. Christ lives in me. The life you see in me, the life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, and I'm not going to go back on that. And then he says finally, it's, is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that. I refuse to repudiate, to deny, to reject. I refuse to reject God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule keeping, if a relationship with God could come by keeping the rules, by being good, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, if there was another way, do you think that God would have sacrificed his only son? And would Jesus have said, I will do that. I will go to the cross. I will hang on the cross and die a horrible death. For the children of God. I'll do that even though there are at least half a dozen other ways that they could get there. No, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus. And if we could only get our hearts and our minds around what Paul is saying here and apply that truth to our own lives, if we could stop trying to impress others with this facade of holiness and righteousness, if only we would be willing to die to self and live through and for Christ. It shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us that we can't fool God. We can't impress Him with our works. We can't hide our less than holy thoughts, our human pettiness, our daily mutterings under our breath. We can't impress God with our works and our trying to be good because the Bible says our best filthy rags compared to the purity and the holiness and the complete righteousness of God are worthless. If we are truly honest with ourselves, our attempts to be pure and holy and righteous will go right out the window the second we get behind the wheel of our car. Or is that just me? See, Paul is quick to point out that even when he does manage to do what is righteous and holy and pleasing to God, he can't even take credit for it. Because it's not him, but Christ, who lives in him, who is accomplishing the righteousness and the holiness. And so by extension, we have to learn to accept that we can't attain heaven on our own merits. 
We can't be good enough. We can't do enough good works. We can't be active enough in our church. We can't earn enough points to get a pass into heaven. There's only one way. And that's through a very real personal relationship with Jesus. Period. End of sentence. I have a pastor friend who runs a recovery center for people suffering from addictions over in Tomball. Typically, he says, the people in his recovery programs are addicted to alcohol and drugs. And in his center, they meet to talk about their addictions in a group setting. And from all of those discussions over the years, what he's discovered is that people only begin to recover from their addictions when they realize that they are not capable of healing themselves. When they get to the point where they understand their inability, their powerlessness to heal their own addictions, then the process of recovery can begin. Now, as we discussed that, we came to the conclusion that what is truly remarkable is that addiction is a problem that all of us struggle with. We are all of us addicts. See, addiction is when we look to anything other than the one true source of all healing. When we look to anything other than the one true God for justification, satisfaction, comfort, healing, then we are suffering from an addiction. An addiction to sin, to self, to ego, to the world, to the things of the world. We are in the human condition, the fallen human condition of addiction. And the only remedy for addiction is the transforming power of Jesus Christ. We are all in daily need of a spiritual recovery program. Now, just because my addiction is not drugs or alcohol doesn't mean that my addiction is any better than anyone else's. The point is, I need, you need, we all need Jesus. And that's what Paul is teaching us in Galatians today. And my prayer for each of us today is that we would be willing to die to our addiction and look to the one true source of all healing for our recovery. I have seen firsthand recently What happens when we try to heal ourselves 
with our addiction. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It just feeds off of the condition and continues to leave us in a worse state. And we waste away to nothing while everyone that loves us looks on. Don't be lost to your addiction to the world. Look to Jesus as your guide through spiritual recovery. Let's pray. Father God, we hear the storm. And there have been many storms. Indeed, Father, our life is at times tossed about by the waves and the wind and the thunder and the lightning, all of the circumstances of this addiction that we are in because of original sin. But Father, You are the calm in the storm. You are the one who has the power over the storm. And even more personally to us, You are the one who is willing to walk through the storms with us. The comfort, the peace, the healing that you provide when the storms rage strengthens us in our weakness and helps us to recover from our addiction. You are stronger than the world. You are stronger than the human condition, conviction, condition that we find ourselves in. And so we put our faith and our trust in you this morning. We claim that identity that Paul talks about where we have died to ourselves. It is no longer us who lives but you who live in each of us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.